as we continue through 1 Peter chapter 3, and we come into the, the last section here in terms of the relationships within the church. We have seen Peter move into the realm of relationships to develop them. Uh, we've seen him with the world. We've seen him with uh, those that are making your life miserable. We've seen it with uh, your bosses, uh, your masters, if you will. Within the family unit, we've studied them. And here we see an opportunity to look at them in the context of the church. This is now the third and last in that series of our relationships within the church. We've already looked at the necessity of being one-minded, of unanimity, and not just unity, but that we have one mind, and that is the mind of Christ, the mind of God, uh, given, granted to us through his word by the ministry of the Holy Spirit, that we should have this singular commitment to the truth of God's word, that if the Bible says it, not only will I believe it, but we will, as one mind, uh, hold to it and pattern our lives according to it. Now, are we going to be 100% successful at that? Well, none of us are individually. I don't know why anyone would think that we as a unit would be. Uh, but we are going to strive after that. That our striving is to hold to the truth of God's word and portray it in our lives uh, faithfully and sincerely. Uh, not just as a facade, but as a definition of who we are uh, that directs all of our decision-making is this one-mindedness, the mind of Christ. And then we also looked at the necessity of being loving, of brotherly love one for another, this phileo love, that we have this highest form of commitment to one another. And so, uh, and we saw two expressions of that in terms of sympathy or compassion and of tender-heartedness, of being to associate with one another and to care for one another, to do more than just have the verbiage, I love you, and have the, the uh, attitude and the actions of that and the evidence in our relationship with one another. We come to the third uh, part of this very brief statement. It's very concise, Peter shares here. We're taking it apart and exploding it in terms of... of of significance and content. We have enough scripture to do that elsewhere. And we really come down to what is essentially one word, but yet it is uh, then followed by some other instructions that are very telling in terms of what this word entails. The word in the New King James is, in, is uh, be courteous. And uh, it's translated that way. Uh, that we are to be courteous. And that seems, well, that's kind of after being one mind and being loving, tenderhearted, compassionate, and having all that, now all of a sudden tagged at the end is be courteous. Oh, well, that, that seems like, well, that's just what we should be. I mean, just civilized people should be courteous people. Um, the Greek word, this is, the root of this word is really be humble. And I would, I would have preferred a little bit different word than courteous, uh, I would, be, would prefer the word considerate. Um, certainly courteous is entailed in that, but it's that whole idea. And, and when we talk about humility, let's stop a second. I better talk about humility a second. All right, since that's the real word, let's talk about what I mean and what God's word means by humility because many of us have a weird view of humility. I've encountered people that, uh, to show you my humility, I'm going to put myself down all the time. Uh, and that self-deprecation is not biblical humility. 
It's not walking around. It's not shuffling around uh, in some kind of discouraged state or, or to show that. And, and it's not really, these are all facades that are false humility. Because uh, they're really focused on themselves. And it's evidenced by their uh, fascination with themselves, even in putting themselves down, is a false humility. Biblically, uh, humility is about esteeming others better than yourself. That's right out of Philippians chapter 2. I didn't make that up. So you are elevating others in your mind and attitude, not just to be equal with you, but to be better than you. This is humility. It is not putting myself down. It is lifting everyone else up. And there's a huge difference between those two things. And so when we have a one-mindedness and a, uh, the mind of Christ and we have brotherly love, uh, being uh, humble or considerate or courteous uh, should hardly not have to be said, but it does for this very reason. And so I'm going to exalt other people. I'm going to look at opportunities to serve them. If I don't view them as better than me, I am going to have one... We're going to have problems serving one another. And those problems are going to manifest. I might serve you, but hold it against you. And that's why in, in 1 Corinthians 13, it says, I'm not going to keep any record of wrongs and, and what, who owes what to whom. Because I recognize that I owe everything to Jesus Christ, who has forgiven me of my sins and granted me a place in his very household. And so I am in an <laughs> incredible place of grace and, and blessing that I don't deserve at all, that's hence grace, and therefore um, I can recognize that I, am, I have a great debt to pay to God. And he, the way I pay that debt is to serve his people. And so I don't lord that over anybody, and those that serve out of the wrong attitude without humility often lord it over those that they are serving. And humility doesn't allow for that. True biblical love doesn't, doesn't permit that. A one-mindedness, the mind of Christ, uh, will not go there. Uh, they want to have the genuineness of exalting others, and now I can serve you. So, um, when we find, I, I like the, the times in the Old Testament where we have Israelites serving kings. And you might immediately think of Daniel. I, I think of, of Joseph serving Pharaoh. I think of Nehemiah serving the, the, the king. And we see these examples where these men have an opportunity to serve the king and therefore influence the whole nation and influence uh, their people but they do it through the act of service to the king. And you hear their language and their attitude, even in Esther with her husband, who is the king. And, and that whole, uh, I'm going to respect and honor your position. Well, we come into Christianity, and it's no longer, well, they have all the power. And because they have the power, uh, we should treat them courteously. We're very careful with our words and and we're very careful with our attitudes and even our demeanor. Uh, even if, if you came into the king's presence with a sour look on your face, he could have you cut your head cut off or imprisoned, thrown in the dungeon. Uh, and maybe that's what happened to Joseph, uh, the baker in the, in the 
wine steward and, that came in there. And, and maybe they just didn't show up happy enough and lost their place. But whatever it was, we say, well, they deserve that because they have the power. But when we get into the New Testament and the concepts of godliness, that now we don't look at power because we recognize, while we recognize authority and the necessity to be courteous there, what does Jesus Christ teach us? Whatever you do to the least of these, the least of these, your brethren. So you go out there and you look for the least of us. That is the one with the, le- the, the least to pay us back, the least to offer us, uh, that are the... <laughs> and I say, well, what benefit is they to our church? And, and Well, that's who we serve. We go to the least of our brethren, we serve them, and thus we are serving Christ. It says, whatever you've done to the least of your brethren, you've done to me. That Christ is not personified in the positions of power, he is personified in the most needy among us. Once we have elevated them and esteemed them high enough, to say, therein is Christ. As I serve them, I am serving Christ. And now I have esteemed them. They are worthy of every effort of mine. While the world might say, and from a human perspective, I might say, well, they're just needy, 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 needy. No, I have elevated them, and I said, these are worthy. And now I will serve them. This is the word here. That humility that draws us to esteem others better than ourselves and thus worthy of every effort and energy that we pour out on their behalf. And so uh, during the Sunday school hour, I work in that nursery and I look across and I say, well, you know, obviously I'm smarter than all these kids, uh, but am I worth more? Not according to my Bible. In fact, I am the one that's warned over and over in God's word, don't you stand between these people and these little people in Christ. Right? Better a millstone we put around your neck and thrown in the ocean than keep one of these from Jesus Christ. So there should be nothing in my actions, nothing in my attitudes, nothing in my words that would injure that access of these little people to the truth of Jesus Christ. And so because you can esteem that and see in them as Christ, and I want nothing, I don't, I don't want that, that, <laughs> that judgment upon me, that I kept these children from Christ by abusing them, by, by maligning them against him, by, by misrepresenting God's truth. No, I can do none of that. Because I have esteemed their value. And while the world devalues children, uh, beginning in the womb on, uh, they're, they're pawns, really, in their political gamesmanship, uh, but they have devalued them, we recognize that God says, that is a life that I've authored. You've begotten it, but I authored life. And therefore, we place value there. Now we serve that. We're, and this is the attitude behind that. Now once we get into the realm of the church, now we are saying, well, the least of my brethren are the ones that I don't serve the least. It's the ones I serve the most. 
And remember the disciples, who's going to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Well, who, he who has learned to be the servant of all. This is the word that underlines that kind of servanthood. And hence the word humility is its root. The root of this word is be humble. And in a humble state, not of putting myself down, but of looking around and say, there, 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 there are all individuals that are more than worthy of all of my resources. Time, energy, material things, financial things. They're worthy. Now I'm going to serve them. This is what is entailed in this word, courteous. Well, we often think of courteousness as well. You have to curtsy and bow, and you have to hold the doors, and you have to say please and thank you. And and we're going to get into a little bit of that as we get into the verse uh, 9 and following. Uh, But the attitude really is to serve, to be so considerate of each other's needs that I put your needs even above my own. And thus, my priorities are, (laughs) it's kind of a weird thing to say, my priorities aren't the priority. So here's the things that I want to get done, but then I'm encountering, well, this person has a need, well, now all of a sudden these things just drop. They still need to get done? Well, yes, but this needs to be done. And this is what ministry is all about, is about putting others' needs as a priority of our life, and the work of God and ministry to one another. And thus we have an opportunity. So I look at those Word of Life kids, and I, how can I serve them and not lord over them? I have to consider their value in the kingdom of heaven. What is God's view of them? Well, now I can serve them. I'm not ruling them. I'm serving them. And this humility is necessary. Now, when you are courteous, when you are considerate, when this is evidence in your life, we often get offended because it's not reciprocated. Right? In other words, if I hold the door open for a gal and she just walks right in and acts like I didn't even exists, like I was just, um, we would say, well, that was rude. And it offends us, offends us a little bit, right? And by the way, every time I hold a door open for a woman, pretty much, I, can, I can't think of a time recently that didn't thank me for it, walking by. Because that's courteous. Because they're recognizing something that isn't normally done um, this is being civilized instead of just selfish. And so we recognize this concept within the context of being courteous and being considerate. But the attitude behind it needs to be elevated in our understanding of what's going on. I'm not just doing this because it's what a man should do for a, a woman, even in a, a stranger in a, in a in public environment, but that I am considering your needs, um, and even though it interrupts my day a little bit to hold this door, because I'm trying to get in there and do something, and I've been in a hurry going to a store, 
and stops and says, no, I've got to hold the door for this gal. Well, why? Because you were raised right. No. <laughs> well, probably. That probably really is the reason. Uh, but hopefully in being raised right, we understand the foundation behind that courteousness is, no, you're being considerate of this other person, which means I am elevating their value. I am esteeming them worthy of me interrupting my trip to the store by stopping, even if it's for a few seconds, that they can go in ahead of me, and then it really kills me, because if it's at the bank, they're in line in front of me, aren't they? Then there's like four of them. I'm like, oh, man, I'm going to be here for a long time, because I just let four women in the bank before me. That's being considerate. That is the word of home. I esteem your time as more valuable than my time. Wow. That's really the foundation. That's what he's talking about here. Will it be reciprocated? Not necessarily. In fact, most people are not courteous. And you might say, well, where's the incivility coming from? It comes from the core selfishness that we have trained our children in. Not just for this generation, but my generation trained children to be selfish. I'm kind of a weirdo because I tell people I was born like 50 years late. Um, I'm I'm really like a hundred in terms of how we raised our children. Uh, When we look around at some of our peers, we're like, you're just raising selfish brats. I mean, we really thought that about a lot of our friends that we went to college with. You're just raising selfish. And they did. And they are. And what do you think selfish brats raise? Yeah, you're going, oh, this is scary. Yes, it is. This is how you create an uncivil society is you replace humility with pride. You replace the, the concept that, that you're here to serve with I'm here to be served. And it's evident in our churches. When I was a young person, uh, I came to the church and I expect, I, I, I mean, as a junior higher, as, a, as even a grade schooler, what was my job? I come to church and, and I served as, back then we had ushers, and so Sunday night, you know, Sunday morning the men ushered. Sunday night, the young people ushered. There was an usher, there was a deacon back there to take the plates from us after we passed them so we didn't help ourselves. But we had service to do, and it was expected. We were taught to serve from very young. We tried to do that in our World Life Club, to teach them to serve. Why? Because it is one of the fundamental principles of Christ-likeness. Is we have not come to be served, but to serve. Someone shared a little meme on my Facebook this week that most churches act like church is a cruise ship where a few serve many for our entertainment. And most churches are cruise ships. And then the meme shows another picture. But really the church is a battleship. What happens on a battleship? How many people are serving? Everyone to protect people who aren't even in the ship. There are no people sitting around in a battleship that don't have a job. There's just no room for that. See, the church is not a cruise ship, it's a battleship. We're here to serve. But our attitude is we're here to be served because selfishness has replaced humility. 
And so when we go shopping for a church, and people come in the door shopping for a church, inevitably they'll come in and say, well, what do you have to offer us? And I look at them and say, well, what do you have to offer us? You see, the mentality is there. The church is here to meet my need. Now, I am here to serve the church because we're missing this word in our Christian experience. Be courteous. Be, be humble. Be a servant. Be one that is considerate of how to treat others, not how others are going to treat me. Do I'm looking for reciprocation? Absolutely not. The testimony of the martyrs and of the faithful servants of God is though they are abused and abused and abused, stoned, beaten, whipped, they just keep serving. It's not going to stop me from ministering the gospel. Though you don't reciprocate any of it, I will continue. And that brings us to verse 9 and following. What it means to be a blessing to those who curse you. Even within Christendom, yes, within the church, within these relationships, verse 9 says, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil, his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil, do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. What an odd statement to make after this verse 8 to make these verses 9 through 12. But it's really not. It is the Peter putting it forward. Here's exactly an example of what I'm talking about. You have one-mindedness. You have a brotherly love for one another that shows itself as compassion and tenderheartedness. And you have consideration, humbly considerate of each other. Then what does that look like? It looks like, first of all, what is your speech to one another? That's one of the great measuring places of your courteousness, of your consideration, of your humility, is your speech to one another. Are we denigrating people or are we elevating? Are we encouraging or discouraging? Are we, are we putting them down or are we uh, not flattering them? That's certainly too far because that's lying. But are we encouraging them with these with this statements? Now, does that mean we're not allowed to rebuke, correct? We absolutely must. If we truly have brotherly love for one another, we're going to involve ourselves in that process as well. But we're not going to do only that. We're also going to instruct and that they might be perfect or full. We want to not respond in kind. And thus, when they revile us, we don't revile back. And there's a real measure of our humility, isn't it? Can you take it? Even if it's untrue. I mean, obviously this is speech we're talking about where people are just dressing you down. Can you take it? We talk about the church as a battleship. We have lots of, well, we have several um, examples in God's word about being a soldier of Christ, of what the training is involved in that. Uh, one of the training aspects of becoming a soldier is to learn how to take a good dressing down. 
And that's why you go to boot camp and those, those sergeants are just there to rip you down one side and down the other. And really, just to see if you'll learn to take it. Are you ready to take it? Um, because you're going to have to have that kind of caliber of character to have real success. Because you're there to serve your country and not your own interests. You're there to serve your fellow soldier, even at risk of yourself. What does that require of you? It requires of you the ability to take it. And we've talked about this, and this is going to come out next week as we get back to the, to the principle of suffering. But it's the idea that I'm not going to respond in kind. I'm not going to revile, though they're reviling me. I'm not going to, well, if you're going to find the moat in my eye, I'm going to find the beam in yours. Does the Bible tell you to do that? No, it says get the beam out of your own eye, then you can really help your, your, your fellow church member. And it's not, it's not a competition. It's not, a, it's not an opposition. It is a, a cooperation that I want to strengthen you as you want to strengthen me and as iron sharpens iron. That's what we do to friends. So a man with his friend. We want to sharpen one another. And it is not unidirectional. It's what, not from me to you. It's, it's not from one person to the other. It's to each other that we humbly desire to bless one another. This is what we are called to, the bless, and this is what we anticipate. And again, we are wanting to inherit a blessing from God, and yet somehow we're not willing to be a blessing to others. Because we've got to defend ourselves. You don't need to defend yourself. Again, we're going to be Christ-like in this, right? Did Christ need to defend himself? Was he falsely accused? Obviously. Had he done anything wrong? No. Did he answer simple questions? Yes. Did they infuriate the people? Did they revile him? They beat him? They, they spit upon him? All those things. They falsely accused him, and he just did not respond. Could he have? Oh, easily. Did he have the power to do it? Did he have the authority to do it? Yes. Certainly. Did he have the right to do it? Yes. But humility says, I surrender my rights for the best for others. I surrender mine for you. And so, I'm here to bless and you're here to bless each other. This is what you are called to, Peter tells us. And God is observing this. This is one of the measures. We talked about the measure of a man and his wife that if you want your prayers answered, you'd better be treating your wife well because God is watching that relationship to determine whether you have access to his throne of grace. If you can't care for your wife, then you're not going to have access to God's throne if you maltreat your wife. Well, here, if we're maltreating one another within the church, it says here, the Lord's ears are only open to the prayers of the righteous. You're going to have to do good and not evil, and reviling for reviling might seem fair to you, but God says that's an evil. Because that's selfishness, and you don't combat selfishness with more selfishness. It doesn't work. 
I've watched it among your children in the nursery that all want that toy. One selfishness isn't equaled out by another selfishness. That just becomes conflict. And thus we are told that we are one of the blessings we are to have on each other is we're going to bring peace. It says here we're going to seek peace and pursue it. We're going to turn from evil and do good to one another. We are going to not speak evil of one another nor towards one another. Uh, these are going to be some of the evidences, that the three main evidences that he shares here in verses 10 and 11. Uh, that this, our speech is going to be courteous. We're going to speak properly to one another and to be a blessing in our speech and not constantly tearing down. That we might also be a blessing to one another by doing good to one another and not evil. I'm not going to seek to undermine what is beneficial for you. Even if the world says it's mean, by the way, my kids all, I think every one of my kids thought I was mean at some point. And maybe they still do. <laughs> I'm pretty sure my grandkids all think I'm mean. But I know what's better. I'm not being mean. I'm trying to protect them from themselves, from their environment, from each other. <laughs> And so don't touch that. Sounds really mean. Don't touch that! That sounds really, really mean, doesn't it? Is it mean? Depends upon what the that is, right? Do you want to break that fragile thing? Do you want to be harmed by that injurious thing? Uh, don't touch that. Sounds mean, but it's loving. And so when we talk about our speech, that our speech is, is, has always the concern of the others at heart. It's not always honey, is what I'm trying to get at. You know, we think our speech should be just dripping with honey all the time. And boy, when somebody comes up to me and talks to me like that, it, it, it hits a nerve. I'm going to tell you that, okay? Oh, you're the best. You're the most wonderful preacher. I'm like, oh, okay. Too much honey on that one. period. That's false. That's a facade. Because the truth is to sharpen iron requires sometimes friction and sparks and things like that. But we have each other's well-being at heart because we are humble and sometimes that calls us to say and do things that would appear to the world to be mean. But we recognize, well, that's absolutely necessary to be rebuked and corrected to keep me out of sin. Not to lord over you, not as though I'm better than you, not to judge you, but to deliver you from the evil one. To deliver you from our own flesh. To deliver you from the appeal of the world. Sometimes it takes that. But it's not reviling. It's not in, in defense of my own person or pride, my own ego. Rather, it is to serve you. So my lips are not going to try to deceive you, I'm going to not speak evil to you. And sometimes the drippy honey speech is evil. That's what flattery is. When they flatter me, I'm like, well, you didn't listen to the sermon today, or you'd be sitting there going, boy, that hurt today. You're just flattering. And there's nothing 
good in that kind of speech. It's deceitful. And so we want God's blessing. Then bless one another with truth. Not speaking deceit to one another. That we're going to do good to one another and not evil. That we're going to seek peace with one another. We're going to pursue it. That means we're going to take every effort. We're going to go further in pursuing peace. And to pursue peace isn't about compromising truth. It's not about compromising righteousness. It's about applying God's word consistently and that if it's, if it's a personality issue between me and this person, I will subjugate myself. I will simply put them better than me. I'll humble myself before them. And God responds to that. God sees that attitude of the heart. He sees the genuineness of that humble spirit that expresses itself in courteousness, in being considerate, a considerate person. He says, I'm going to consider what you need, and whether it's good or mean or whatever. I'm going to consider what you need uh, before what I need. Frankly, rebuking, correcting people is not a fun thing. Spanking children is not a fun thing. Make them stand in the corner, whatever it is you do. It's not fun. I know your kids think you enjoy it, but we don't, do we? We go, ugh. But we know it's loving to do it for their well-being. And so it is in the Christian community that we're going to be humble enough to do what is good, what is righteous. And God responds to that. He sees that attitude. And he says, I'm going to listen to your prayers. You're the one that's going to get the priority in my attention. You're going to have that <clears throat> unfettered access to me, to my grace, to my mercy, to my power, you will have that access. And so Peter throws out there a little carrot. You want to be blessed? You want to have access to God? Um, if that's your only motivation, you don't get everything he's already shared. He says, this is who we are in our relationship one with another. And to wrap that up in a little word like be courteous, I think does it a disservice. Oh, that we would humble ourselves, serve one another in every consideration and courteousness, even if it's not reciprocated, that I can do you good, I will not speak evil to you, and I will seek peace. And this is the mind of Christ. This is the attitude of Christ one to another, that Christ served us even when we were his enemies. When he was reviled, he took it. And added to his injury, and yet God raised him up and exalted him far above. Oh, that we would be Christ-like in our relationship one with another. One mind, one love, with great humility, one service to one another. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. And we thank you for your humble act of sacrifice for us and all that it has provided us. Lord, we rejoice in it. 
And we thank you for our church. And we pray that we might manifest Christ one to another. And Lord, where we have been proud, where we have diminished others instead of esteem them, we pray for your forgiveness. For we know that that has injured our ability to serve you, to serve your church, and to receive your blessing. And Lord, we need your help. We thank you for your word today. We thank you for your spirit within us to convict us where this is absent but also to empower us to put it in place. Lord, we know this goes against our nature, but not against our new nature. Lord, help us to be new creatures in Christ. And looking into the least among us, that we might, in our mind, in our flesh, value very little. To see in their faces, in their needs, your face, and the opportunity to pay a debt that we can never repay fully. And Lord, we know that our world and too much of your church is filled with self-servingness. Lord, help us to be of a different ilk, individually as families and as a church family, that we might be more like Christ this week than last. In Christ Jesus' name we pray, amen.